Father, you are good, and your mercies endure forever, and they're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, this is a day that you made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, you are able. We affirm your power. We believe in Jesus, the truth of his word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Please may it speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome here. If you're just joining us, my name is Pastor Jeremy Lobdell. We're so glad you're worshiping with us and our family at Midland Free. I got a question for you this morning. My question is this, one we'd frequently ask each other if we saw each other following a holiday is, hey, what'd you do? Or how was your fourth? What did you do on the 4th of July? Me and my family went to the west coast of Michigan and enjoyed the beautiful scenery of Ludington and its pristine beaches. We also had a great time spending some time there with some dear friends and really just took the day to enjoy God and his beautiful creation and relax. And It was great. One of the things that really struck us as we were driving south from Ludington down towards, I think it's Pentwater or something like that, is on the left, which would be our east, we saw these giant windmills. And we're not talking like little old-fashioned barn spinny thingy windmills. We're talking like gargantuan all-white turbines. These are the type of things, if you ever see them going down the highway, are like two semi-trucks long just for their blade. And of course, we're turn to the side like this and I'm trying to keep my eyes on the road and everyone's like wow look at how big those are and of course all the kids follow with the kiddo questions how's that work what's this what's that and I don't know I mean they're really cool to be sure and I'm pretty confident that they wouldn't be there if they didn't work because nobody would spend that kind of money to put them up but somehow, some way, there is this gargantuan force or this incredible power that is out there in the wind. And some brilliant scientist or engineer or whoever has figured out how to harness that. We can't see the wind. We don't know where it comes from. And yet we feel it and we know it's there. And in this case, some smart person has decided, hey, we need to harness some of that. And use it because it's a renewable resource and it doesn't make a mess like a lot of our other stuff. So they build these beautiful big white turbines and they grab a hold of this external power. And what seems to be this infinite invisible source is now tapped and channeled so it can benefit mankind. Well, just like those wind farms so too with us. In times of difficulty or discouragement or despair or just plain old everyday human existence, we often, I often, get tired and worn out. And I'm like, Lord, I need you. If there is some help, if there is some power, if there is some strength out there to be had or found, I want it. Where is it? Where can I get some of that? 
Today in Mark chapter 9, we're going to go after that question. And what we will see is that just like in the physical world, so too in the spiritual world, that there is in fact an infinite source of power external to us that we can grab a hold of, but it has to be tapped. It has to be channeled. Mark chapter 9 is going to help us do that. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there today. The ninth chapter of the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9 says this. And when they came, who's they, by the way? Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And when they came down from the mountain back to reality, to the disciples, they saw the great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd interrupted or interjected and answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Of course, you weren't here, so I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. Jesus answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouse. And Jesus didn't freak out in fear or panic, but instead turned to the father and said, How long has this been happening to him? The father said, From childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Now that is an evil spirit that wants to destroy children. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly coming together So he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, oh, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. And just like he did the little girl, he lifted him up and the boy arose. When Jesus had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, "Uh, Why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now one quick little note, and I'll get into the uh, first point, and that is this. You noticed in the ESV it ended this section by saying, And prayer. Some of the Older translations, based on younger manuscripts, say prayer and fasting. But when you look at the 
oldest manuscripts, the ones that are closest to the originals, you find that there is no word fasting in the manuscripts like Aleph. And as a result, what scholars have realized is that more than likely, because fasting was an emphasis in the early church, this was probably a later scribal edition. And so it's not included in this part of the text in the ESV and many other translations because it's probably a scribal edition. So the point here is prayer, and we'll show you how that works here in just a second. So is there a force or an energy or a power that we can tap into to help us? You see that happening in the physical world. Is there such a thing for the spiritual and the emotional? The answer is yes, and like the physical world, so too in the spiritual This power is not intrinsic to us, but instead it is external. This power is external. If you still have your Bibles close by, look at verses 17 and 18 of Mark chapter 9. And what happens is this, is um, Jesus is the healer, and so the boy's father brings him to Jesus, and since Jesus wasn't there, it's assumed that his disciples can probably get close to doing what he's supposed to be able to do. So They try with the disciples. However, the disciples, it says, were not able to cast it out. In other words, they didn't have the strength or they didn't have the dunamis. They didn't have the dynamite. They didn't have the power. In and of themselves, they could not do it. Now, why was that? Because perhaps they cast out some earlier. Maybe this guy was extra strong and it took a little more effort or a special formula or a secret spell. And the reality is that that is completely false. In fact, if they would have been doing it right, they could have cast out this demon. But what appears to have happened here is that the disciples forgot from whence they received their power. Earlier on, Jesus had deputized them, or he had commissioned them and said, sent them out two by two and given them power over the unclean spirits. And maybe they had a modicum or measure of success and they begin to think, hey, we can do this. We got this. It's not so bad. Spirit, spirit, all right. And they forgot that their power is not theirs, but it's the Lord's. That It is not intrinsic, but it is external. And the reality is, in our lives, yea, in the entire world, all power is derivative. There is no strength that we as Finite, dependent creatures, the created, have. Instead, all power is in the creator. We are the finite. He is the infinite. We are the limited. He is the unlimited. This is why Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything. You can do no thing. Because all power comes from him. Even just think about food. Like, for you to have strength during the day, you have to eat. But where do you get that strength? You reach out and you grab an apple and you bring it inside of yourself. And it's 
changed and digested and converted into energy because you didn't have that energy. All power is external. It is not intrinsic to us. C.S. Lewis says it beautifully like this. He says, of God, he makes, we are made. He is original. We are derivative. Our life is at every moment supplied by him. Well, yeah, but I got a free will. Your tiny miraculous power of the free will only operates on bodies which his continual energy keeps in existence. Our very power to think is his power communicated to us. There is no such thing as independent power. It all belongs to God. We are dependent, created, finite human beings. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So we have to realize, just like the disciples have to realize, no matter how hard we work, no matter how well we plan, no matter how much effort we put forth, the reality is everything, all things are completely dependent upon God. Yes, we have a responsibility. Yes, we've been given resources. Yes, we need to do our best. But the reality is everything we have comes from him. What do you have that you haven't been given? One way or another, it's from him. So number one, the first thing we got to remember is like the wind, all power, all ability is external to us. It is not inherent. It is not ours to command. The moment we start thinking it is, we make a mistake and we're headed for a fall. Pride comes before a fall. And pride here would be thinking that we could do something on our own. All power is external, number one. Number two, external power, like the wind, or perhaps like some other great powers, is infinite. Now, maybe my analogy is not perfect, but just go with it for the sake of the illustration. Compared to some you know, resource that's not renewable, that'll eventually be used up, the wind, or maybe the sun, or solar flares, or big star explosions, or something out there is infinite infinite in power compared to what we have now. This power is beyond us. It's external and it is infinite. Look again at Mark chapter 9 in verse 21. Jesus was inquiring of the patient, of the patient's father, um, about his condition. And Jesus asked him, well, how long has this been going on? And he says, from childhood, you know, it's cast him in the fire in the water to try to destroy him. And the next thing he says, cautiously optimistic, hopeful but not holding his breath, is if you can do anything, if you don't mind, if you can, please have compassion on us. And this is kind of a funny part of the text. I don't know if you know this or not, but you read your Bible and there are some funny parts in it. And I can see Jesus just looking at this guy like, did you just say if? Well, this is Mark chapter 9. If it was Mark chapter 1, maybe. But in Mark chapter 9, you got to understand that this Jesus is the same one who was hailed by the prophet. This Jesus is the same one who called the fishermen. This Jesus is the same one who invaded the wilderness and overcame Satan. Jesus has already cast out both individual demons and a legion of demons. 
This Jesus has healed the sick, the lame, the blind, the mute, the deaf. This Jesus has fed the multitudes, not once, but twice, 5,000 and then 4,000. He's claimed the ability to forgive sins. He has calmed a storm with a mere command. He has walked on water and raised the dead. If? No, 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 no. There's no if, but when. And you know what they say, right, Aiden? When the who is in the house, hows don't matter. This is Jesus. Even from half the book, you should be able to tell by now that Satan and demons are no match for him. They are 0-6 against him. Every time Satan has tried to oppose him, he's lost. And I think this demon already knows he will. And that's why he's so upset. He's mad. He encounters Jesus and he just, he's given everything he got, but he knows he's going down. Jesus created hell. Jesus created hell for Satan and his demons and anyone who would follow after him. They know where they're headed. There's no question. There's no if. It's only when. Because when the who is in the house, the house don't matter. He has infinite power. Like the wind, his power is external. It is not intrinsic to humanity. It is only unique to him. And like the wind, this source of infinite power is just there and beyond us and infinite. There is no if in Jesus, and that's why he jumps on that word. He pounces on it. He quotes exactly what that guy says right back to him. I was like, are you serious? If? Are you saying if? If to me? (laughs) There's no if with Jesus. None at all. He's infinite. He's powerful. Well, then, good. There's this power. It's external. It's infinite. But... How does that help me? I need help. What do we do? Well, we have to tap into it. Mark chapter 9, verse 23. Again, the Bible says this. It says, All things are possible for the one who believes. How do we tap into this power? By faith. By belief, by trusting in what we cannot see. Just like the wind, we know it's there, but we can't see it. But it's for real. You have to believe. Now, I know that's hard for us to do as physical, corporal, tangible human beings. We like stuff that is solid, that we can taste, touch, see, and smell. But let's be encouraged by the fact that even Jesus himself, had to have faith. What? Jesus had that faith? He, he was in heaven. He came down. He already knew everything. What does he have to believe? The interesting thing here is as you look at this passage, it could be read in two different ways. We probably go to it, most of us, with our yearbook lenses. We're looking to see ourselves in the text. How does this apply to me? What do I do? How does this affect my life? 
But the text is not just about us. That's an anthrocentric way of reading it. But we need to read it from a theocentric way, a God-centered way. And if we do that, we realize it's not just us, but this text is about God. And if that is the case, you can read this a little differently and say all things are possible for the one who believes. Now, who believes in God the Father more than anyone else? Whose power is infinite? For whom is it truly possible that all things are possible? It's actually not you and me. We might like to quote this verse before we go into the big game. We're going to win this one. We can do all things through Christ. All things are possible. I believe I'm going to win it. (laughs) That's not what this is trying to teach you here. Instead, what it's trying to show you is the importance of faith. And the person through whom it demonstrates it is, in fact, Jesus. Well, how does Jesus have to have faith? This is the part that I'm probably most excited about in this sermon. And it's this. There's two things. Two ways in which Jesus has faith. Number one, he has to believe in God the Father beyond his experience. Beyond his experience. You see, Jesus is going to experience everything negative that the world has to offer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be lonely. He's going to be in pain. He's going to be hungry. He's going to have financial need. People are going to call him names. He's going to experience injustice. And he has to come to the point where he says to God the Father, I believe that your purposes are good. Despite everything that I'm experiencing, what you have for me is actually good. And that almost seems contradictory because what he's experiencing is bad. But Jesus has to believe that in the end it's good. That's faith. So where Jesus experiences rejection, he has to believe in God the Father for acceptance. Where Jesus experiences name-calling, he has to believe in God the Father for his affirmation. When Jesus experiences hunger, he has to believe in God for provision. When he experiences temptation, he has to go to God for power. When he experiences all the things that we suffer with, he has to believe that his Father will provide for him too. Jesus has to believe in God the Father despite everything he experienced, even unto death. Now think about that. The immortal is about to experience something it has never in all eternity experienced before. Mortality. Jesus, who was and is and is to come, is about to die. That's different for him. And that is something that came as a result of the curse and it wasn't his fault. Yet he's going to take it on and experiencing it in the most gruesome and horrifying way. And if he's going to lay his life down, he's going to have to sit there and wait and depend on God the Father to raise him up again. If God doesn't come through, then Jesus is dead. And that's not a good spot. But if he believes in God the Father, then he knows he can lay his life down. He can intentionally give up what no one can take from him 
Because God the Father will come to him even in his state of death and raise him up. Jesus has to have extreme faith. Death comes to us naturally. We don't get a choice about it. It's what we experience. But Jesus had a choice and he looked at it and said, okay. Because he believed in the will of God. Jesus tapped into this power, the power of God the Father. He had power intrinsic to himself. It's a little bit different. But through faith, Jesus can accomplish anything because he is the one who believes. He is the believing one par excellence. More than any other human being that has ever lived, no one has greater faith than Jesus the Christ. And he believed in his Father's will for him. As a result, he could do anything. Because all things are possible for the believing one, for the one who believes. That's Jesus. Let me write these things down real quick, just so we remember where we're at. Number one, power is external. Number two, like the wind and like Jesus, the power we're after is infinite. And number three, anyone tell me, that power has to be tapped. Exactly right. That power has to be tapped. God's power that we want, that we're after, just like the wind, is external, it is infinite, and it must be tapped. But there is a fourth thing that has to happen as well, and that is it must be channeled. I can't remember if channeled has one N or twos. Someone will let me know. It's probably wrong. Channeled. That power has to be channeled. Look again at Mark chapter 9 and verse 28. It says this. Disciples want to know, hey, how come we couldn't do it? I mean, do we mess it up? Um, Josephus actually tells a story about a, um, a exorcist at his time, which is near Jesus, who goes before one of the emperors and is using a ring to draw the demons out of the nose. And there's all this you know, stuff about what's the right procedure. Do we do it like this? Is it prayer and fasting? Is it prayer and fasting? And then we got to do 10 push-ups and jump on our one leg. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. It's not any of that. Jesus didn't even pray before he cast out this demon. He just said, demon, come out. It's not about the ritual or the routine. But instead, verse 28, they entered the house. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, so we just pray and anything we want will happen, right? Not exactly. Here's what happens. This word prayer is a term of art. It is a term that, yes, it means something specific, but it also has a great range or broader meaning as well. And what happens in prayer is, yes, we are talking to God, and we don't have to use big theological words. We can just have a conversation with him. But essentially what we're doing is communicating a heart attitude of humility and dependence. 
We are saying to God that we recognize we don't have any power in and of ourselves. Instead, all power is external. And we could really use some help, but we're not strong enough. We're like the disciples. We're weak. And yet you, God, are totally different than that. Your power is infinite. It is intrinsic to who you are. There's no if, but when. And when you are here, you can. And Lord, it's not me, but you. And so please help. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. That's what prayer is. It's humble. It is a request, not a command. Always remember that. When you go before God, you can claim his promises boldly, and you can come to him boldly because he is your father, and you do have a covenant and a family and agreement. But don't ever get arrogant, prideful, or cocky, or think that you can demand something of him. He commands, we request. Prayer always shows great humility. Not my will, but yours. Lord, if it be your will, please. It is not a formula, a spell, or a ritual, but instead prayer is marked by humility. The person of prayer is marked with an attitude and spirit of constant humility. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean talk nonstop. What that means is your attitude, your heart, your being exist in a humble state of dependence upon God. So you're walking along your way and you run into anything and you're like, "Uh, Lord, help. I don't know what this is. I don't know how to deal with it. What do you want me to do? There's a fork in the road. Tell me which way to go at everything. Lord, should I have Coke or Diet Coke today? Should I have cheese or should I have no cheese? Or whatever decision. Those sound silly, I know. But the reality is when you're walking with him that closely, you can ask him anything. It's a humble state of dependence that's asking God constantly for his will. And then when you ask him, you have to listen. You have to listen and obey. And sometimes we want the like shouting voice from heaven. But in reality, sometimes he whispers a still small voice. And if you keep marching on, you won't hear it. Gotta stop. Slow down. Listen. And if you hear it, you better do it right then because it's too easy to forget. And it's too easy to walk on. And then it's too late. You gotta be humble. You gotta ask. You gotta listen. And then you got to submit. Sometimes God tells you to do hard things you don't want to do. And that's when you really trust in his justice and his lordship in your life. If he's putting leadership in your life that you don't trust, or if he's putting situation you don't like, or if he's called you to interact with someone that's difficult to get along with, you walk forward into that believing that God is good and submit to him and his will. It's not easy. But it's dependent. His power has to be channeled. And then as you do that, just like Jesus, you've got to trust him. I don't know if God will call you to lay down your life for him or what he'll ask you to do. But whatever it is, we know it corresponds to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow. Those are not the same as live the life of ease, do whatever you want, live it up, have a good time, we'll see you later. No. Following Jesus is hard. It requires constant, 
humble dependence that's asking God what he wants us to do, listening carefully, and then submitting to him and doing it. This is how you channel the power of God. You have to trust him. You have to constantly lean in and depend on him. And that's what it means to pray without ceasing. Like the wind, God's power is external. It's beyond us. It's not ours. Like the wind, God's power is infinite. And like the wind, God's power must be tapped. It's out there. We got to believe by faith, reach out and grab a hold of it. And like the wind, God's power also has to be channeled. And we channel it, Mark 9.28 says, through prayer. Through prayer. Not just, dear Lord, please give me this, I'm done, amen. But a constant state of walking with him in humility, wonder, and awe. Coming back from the wind farms, I was looking for the, through my gazillion pictures on my phone and I couldn't find them. I wanted to show you one. But they're a little bit hard, as I said earlier, for me to understand. I don't really get it. The power of the wind and how it's harnessed. I mean, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. It must work, otherwise no one would invest that kind of money for that sort of power. So too is it with everyone born of the Spirit. There is a power out there. It's external to us. It's infinite. But it can be tapped and channeled. And I don't really understand it. I don't know precisely how it works, but it must. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have paid such a tremendous price to make it available to us. Disciples' desire was to have Jesus stay there, but he said, no, no, I got to do this. You'll actually be better off if I go than if I stay. And so he predicts over and over again what's going to happen to him and tries to massage it in, but no one really gets it until he's gone and the Spirit comes. And when that Spirit comes, then they experience real power. The Holy Spirit is the conduit through which we experience the power of God. It connects us to Christ. It draws us into Him. And as a result, that power that is external now can flow through us and change every day of our life. I pray that if you've never believed in Jesus before, that today you would do so for the first time, that you would accept him as your savior, that you would believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will say, yes, Lord, you are the only begotten son of the living God. And your kingdom and your glory will endure and reign forevermore. Amen.
Father, I thank you and praise you for your only Son, Jesus Christ. He is the all-powerful one, and there is none like him. Lord, I, I believe, I pray that you would help my unbelief. Help me when I experience anxiety, fear, depression, fatigue, concern, worry, or anything else that shouldn't be there. Help me to only fear you. You are great and you're glorious. And I pray that your kingdom would come and that would be my focus forever and ever. Amen.